Welcome to Cinebabble, episode 82. I am your host, Ken, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, recently indicted president of the United States, Clint Jones. Clint Jones, uh, how's it going selling uh, uh, real estate alongside of uh, Mr. Donald Trump, sir? I mean, I kind of have stopped on the real estate. It's more like wa- waters and hand sanitizer that doesn't okay. sanitize. Okay. And um, Clint w- University. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to enroll, it's uh, open enrollment is soon. Yeah. Um, it just is $10,000 up front. Yeah. And um, the classes are pretty much uh, on a, non-existing. Excellent. So I, I have been thinking about, I, I, I'm not a rich man. Okay. Okay, I've never, follow. I've never been. You only have millions, I, I really, not billions. I am not or was president. Mm-hmm. As, I mean, I mean, I know my name resembles a president in our history. Sure, sure. Um, but I was thinking, like, I'm, I'm not a fancy person, but I can at least say I've never been indicted for a crime. <laughs> And That's I've been thinking true. about that, and it makes me feel better. That's true. I love. I don't know if you watched uh, anything yesterday, but after Trump got indicted, uh, he went to uh, Truth Social, and it, his post was essentially, a, "Hey, you guys, I got indicted." Uh-huh. <laughs> like he had to inform everybody. That's isn't of the that news how the so news, that they know it's true? Isn't that how the news got out? Kind of because like, I saw a bunch of headlines <laughs> from you know the NBCs and, and whatnot. They're saying yeah. that Trump. Um, Said I've been indicted. So. It, was, it was kind of adorable and and so so perfectly in brand Trump that uh, it just it made me kind of laugh. So. I'm not sure if adorable is what I would say, but nah, you it's know. in character. Yeah, and and our uh, skies are on fire here, so that's <laughs> yeah. fun. We got a, lo- yeah. a lot going There's on, like blood moons and all kinds of things. Yeah, uh, my hairdresser was quoting Revelation at me, and I guess you don't call it a hairdresser if they if you're a man. The, the person who cuts your hair. I mean, were you at a barber shop? No, no. I was at a female barber shop where I go with my wife, but they cut my hair anyway. But do they do, you know, like the fancy cuts and whatnot? Yes. Well, they're probably still. So they are a hairdresser? Yeah. Well, she started quoting Revelation at me, and I was just kind of like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Clint, what you been watching about? I want to talk about hairdressers and try to get the right uh, the right wording for that. No, no, they're, they're we could watch hairspray one of these weeks and and we can talk about hairdressing all you want. Okay, let's yeah. do it. What you watching, Clint? Um, I I'm trying to keep it minimal because I have been watching quite a few things, but I'm going to pick and choose. the The first thing I watched was this um, French film. I'm going to be in true artsy mode. Oh boy. Um. This is on Criterion. It was a recent film, and it's called *The Innocent*. Mm. And um, it's directed by uh, I'm gonna say Louis Garrel or Louis Garrel. Louis Garrel. Um, Garrel. And he also stars in this film. Okay. Um, he directed it and is starring, which is it's great for him. It's good. And this was something I. I I wasn't familiar with. It wasn't something I sought out, but it was on Criterion and it, you know, had a bunch of accolades around mm-hmm. it and it's like 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I thought I'd give it a shot and I really enjoyed it. It's definitely, it's a heist film. I was, I'll give you the quick synopsis that they have for it. And uh, when a prison uh, drama teacher marries one of the inmates, her son begins to wonder if the ex-con is still criminal or he's actually rehabilitated. And, um, it's got to really, it, it really toes the line between all these different tones really well, okay. where it'll go from very dramatic 
to very funny to almost like a fish ca- uh, called Wanda levels of quirkiness uh, back to very dramatic and romantic. And um, they really effortlessly goes between those. And um, it was a really enjoyable film. It's it's mainly about, like I said, the, the synopsis sums up that this son is wondering, like, is this guy right for his mom? Is, is he really trying to make the best out of um, his new situation in life where he can have a second chance? And um, I think you would actually enjoy it because it, as far as like a French um, international film, it has a lot of like nods to, um, you know, like American films. It has a really the kind of not modern, but like poppy synth score, like pop synth score. And it's, um, it has a lot of humor throughout. So it's very accessible to somebody who maybe isn't that familiar with that kind of world of cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's cool. It's, okay. it, you have criterion, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say give it a shot. I, oh. I enjoyed it quite a bit. The Innocent? The Innocent. The Innocent. Yeah. Uh, first thing I watched uh, this past week is a movie that just came out on Shudder. It's a Shudder original called The uh, the Influencer, or maybe it's just Influencer. Mm. Uh, it's about a serial stalker who finds people uh, kind of uh, influencers through their, their Instagram uh, publicity or things like that, mm-hmm. tracks them down, and replaces herself in their life. Um and it was, I would say, 90% really good. Mm. I wasn't real sold on the 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 ending of it. The ending felt very kind of tacked on and predictable. And 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 for as much subversion as the rest of the film has, the the ending did not subvert. The ending kind of delivered what was expected. It mm. was it was still, uh, you know, if you have Prime Video and, and Shutter, it's free-ish. Uh, for your five dollars a month or whatever, so it was it was worth checking out. Yeah, but it's yet another one, uh, yet another horror movie where uh, there's there's this like underground culture of horror reviewers online, and mm. typically uh, I will see a lot of stuff popping up like, "Oh, this is amazing and it's so good," and blah 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 blah. Yeah. It, it it really gets hyped, and I think it's just genre hounds who are excited that there's a decent horror movie right and uh and so it gets a little bit overhyped but uh you know it was it was decent it was good yeah i i tend to avoid that because i feel like there is this kind of subculture of just horror reviewers Mm -hmm. like you're saying where they are just get really excited and are kind of hyping it beyond what is the actual truth about it because i've encountered so many of those that i've watched that fall into that and then i'm like it was just it was okay yeah um, and almost to the point where I'm very skeptical of even like going on shutter and watching any of those movies, yeah. unless it's something like a classic one that I've been meaning to get around to. I've been typically, and this is a bad way possibly to judge a film, but it, it honestly works out, uh, pretty well. I will go and watch the trailer mm-hmm. and within 30 seconds, just from the type of cinematography, yeah, yeah. I I get a sense of whether something is uh at, at a certain level or not or, or worth watching. Yeah, and yeah. it's hard to put my finger on. I couldn't describe it, but mm-hmm. it just uh when watching it, it it's just like, okay, uh, you know, this has some some art and some resources behind it. This one does not. Yeah. Um which doesn't preclude the ones that do not. It's just I'm I'm more, um, 
I'm less likely to just jump in and, mm-hmm. and watch a full movie yeah. without uh, getting a better recommendation first. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing I watched was uh, it was a, a new um, Netflix movie that recently popped up. And this is Blood and Gold. Uh, this is the other Nazi or not Nazi, but other hyper violent. Yeah, I mean, it was Sisu. World War II after, yeah. after Sisu. Mm-hmm. This is more definitely, I, I mean, I have not seen Sisu yet, but justly from what I've seen of it, this is definitely more aligned with like Inglorious Bastards. Oh, okay. It's very Tarantino down to the um, like spaghetti Western score okay. that's going on. And this is about a um, a defector from the Nazi army towards the end of the war who um meets up with this woman who she kind of like saves his life and this not this small group of nazis go into this town to try to recover this gold that they heard is there and then he kind of gets involved to to kind of save the town and stop them from getting the gold and it it is hyper violent and um i it, i think the thing that bothered me so much was that it was very Tarantino. Like you could just see the influence all over it. It's a, it's not a bad movie though. It's just that was a little distracting mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. I'm um, just seeing that influence all over it. But like the action is is really good in it and the I they do pick really good moments for the violence mm-hmm. and they have a strong enough like central like um emotional core to like the characters like that um, it feels justified at times. Um, it's worth pick. It's worth you know, not picking up because it's just on Netflix. But it's worth checking out because okay. um, it's a short movie too. It's like an hour and a half. Oh, okay. It's not a you know a Tarantino level yeah. three hour movie. Yeah, I have it in my queue. I just haven't gotten to it. Yeah, but, it's worth okay. watching. I it didn't blow my mind, um, but I didn't regret watching it. Okay. Um, I don't have a lot to say about that one. Okay. But yeah. All right. Well, this was for me, this was finale and premiere week. Um, I watched the Yellow Jackets finale of season two, mm. uh, rushed, sloppy, very disappointing. I watched the Barry season finale. I which watched was, that too. Uh, I, I found delightful and dark and in yeah. true form with season four. Um, it's one that I actually went back and had to watch again <laughs> mm. because at first it was so not what I was expecting. Yeah. That I couldn't tell how I felt about it. But then on second watch, I, I really appreciated what they had done over the fourth season. I, I liked it. Yeah. I, I think I'm still I don't know. That one all in all is a lighter fare of a yeah. show. It's like I wouldn't put it up there with like breaking bad. Yeah. I think it had moments of that level yeah. of it was just a really enjoyable show. Um I just I don't know. I Fourth think, season less enjoyable just because it goes. Yeah, I yeah, just the, the, it goes the, heavy. It gets he- well, and the the end was fine. I'd say. Yeah, okay. uh, it didn't blow. I keep saying that didn't blow my mind. Didn't blow my mind. Didn't blow my mind. Uh, I also watched the Succession finale, which mm. was incredible. Yeah, uh, and somehow that show has gone from a show that I absolutely hate watched in the first season just because people were saying it was good to something that. I am uh, really glad that I stuck with through mm. season four because season three and four were incredible, but it it really stuck the landing. And then on the premiere front, 
I watched uh, what's his face, the controversial uh, showrunner of Euphoria, oh. release <laughs> The Idol. Yeah. With uh, Johnny Depp's daughter in The Weeknd. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will sum that up uh, in two words, um, which is which is just wow <laughs> and trash. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was it was bad. Uh, and in The Weeknd is less acting uh, as he is sort of just appearing on screen. Mm. <laughs> it's it's very distracting. Uh, but it's clearly a show that's meant to uh, uh, kind of wallow in its own uh, smug controversy. Yeah, uh, it's it's very off-putting. It's very annoying. Um, it it deserves a lot of the the uh, cringeworthy reactions that it's been getting. So mm. you know, definitely watch that, Clint, because it's. I have no interest. I've terrible. I've turned pretty sour on Euphoria. The more yeah. I've like thought about it, and just like. I don't know, the more I've read criticism of it and stuff yeah. and just and it's rightfully just for what yeah. people say about that show. And it's something where I wish I was more attuned to it yeah. while watching it and not um, so bowled over by the flashiness and the yeah. artistry around the edges of that show. Tucked inside of Euphoria is a really good show centered around the character of Rue. Yeah, but as soon as you start to go out beyond that and a tale of her drug addiction and her struggle with addiction and things like that, it really starts to fall apart. Especially when it goes to the high school and and the the kids there and the culture that it sets up and ugh. Ugh. <laughs> all right. Anything else, Clint? No, I mean the only thing that was of note what and we were just briefly talking about it was the um, third season of I think you should leave with Tim Robinson aired this uh, recently and which uh, i will say highly recommended uh but i i think we should reserve talking about it until we've gotten because we both want to watch it again yeah because it is a show that gets funnier as you oh yeah and it's not i didn't enjoy it it's just i recognize in myself wait you didn't enjoy it or you mean it's not that you didn't it's not that i didn't enjoy it the first time through it's that i recognize in myself and from my history of watching that show that it gets so much funnier every time um, you watch it and pick up on just little things and sayings and um, just the construction of his jokes are so like kind of mind boggling, like how he gets to them and just like, how did you think of this? What conversation sparked the idea for this? And, And that gives me so much more joy afterwards. Yeah. It's a, it's a great show. Yeah. I I 100% agree. Yeah. And there are ones where I will watch one of the sketches and I'll be completely baffled or weirded out by it. But then when I get back through the second time, I'll find myself laughing at Those it. are the ones I love the most because I'm so baffled just the con- like the construction of yeah. it. And it gives me so much joy to think about the process of yeah. it. Um that that's that's something I would love to see a behind the scenes in the writer's room (laughs) of his show because it's so nutty yeah I and and I think a lot of it is probably like because I was reading little um a little thing with him talking about the um seed for I can't remember which sketch it was but it's like them playing like it came from they were out like playing basketball or skateboarding or something and like a joke came out of just a natural conversation. Yeah. And then from there, that was the seed for it to, to um, 
you know, have the whole thing. That's interesting to me too. It's a definite style of sketch. They've done it on Saturday Night Live at different times before, but where Saturday Night Live just keeps hammering on the same joke when they do that style, this just, they hammer on the joke, but in ways that unfold it and unpack it and take it in completely different directions. Yeah, yeah. It's what... What the sketch starts as is rarely what it ends as. There's there's oh, always definitely. one, two, three layers it, of surprise. And it goes to yeah, it goes in a direction you and you can't kind of understand how it got to this place. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can see why he wasn't on SNL very long yeah. because he was just his ideas, I think, are just too broad and for that like can, that shows too contained yeah and it, it just can't accommodate what he has yeah. in his head <laughs> yeah. yeah all right well today we are reviewing three films we're review uh, reviewing dungeons and dragons honor among thieves which was a, a well-received kind of surprisingly highly reviewed little genre flick that came out in theaters just a little while ago we are reviewing inside with willem dafoe uh, which I believe was shot during COVID and quarantine or or shortly after. Um, mm-hmm. It definitely has some of those elements. Uh, it's just kind of a almost stage plagy, uh, stage playy kind of thriller. It's plagy too. Uh, plagy. Uh, and then finally, Sinatron pick, uh, The Mountain starring uh, Jeff Goldblum, uh, which was quite the little movie. So let's start with Dungeons and Dragons. Honor Among Thieves. Uh, this stars Chris Pine, Sophia Lillis, who you'll recognize from It, Michelle Rodriguez, uh, Daisy Head, Rejean Page, uh, Justice Smith, and Hugh Grant. Uh, it is a charming thief and a band of unlikely adventurers embark on an epic quest to retrieve a long-lost relic, which is the most generic description you could possibly come up with, <laughs> but it so suits the idea of a game of D&D. Uh, but their charming adventure goes dangerously awry when they run afoul of the wrong people. Clint, what did you think of uh, Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves? You have played some D&D yourself, yes? Uh, yeah, with you. Yes, I have. Yes, you have been. My... Just us, just the two of us sitting there rolling die. And... <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> you you are the dungeon master and I'm just, you know, wandering through caves and dungeons and yeah, you're you're kind to me. Yeah, you're um, you're a, a, a delightful little dwarven stripper named, I believe, Cherry Pie. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. She's a stripper with a heart of gold. Uh, but she uses it in battle uh, to her benefit. So well, I have some bat wings too. Don't forget I forgot about, that. about the bat wings. Yeah, <laughs> it's the most ridiculous game. <laughs> um, well, I from the previews from this, I didn't have a lot of you know, interest in this mm-hmm. for some reason. I just didn't think that it would capture the um, actual gameplay and feeling of, I mean, I haven't played Dungeons and Dragons a lot. I've, we've, it was a late in life. A smatter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But enough to get the feeling and the yeah. idea of, um, you know, the, the gameplay and the kind of camaraderie that comes mm-hmm. with that. Um, but also just, in this modern day of like Marvel films and things, it just felt like a CG fest that was not going to be suited towards something I'd be interested in. Mm-hmm. But then the reviews started coming out for this, that this was actually an enjoyable mm-hmm. film and actually is capturing, you know, that kind of gameplay and, and the heart of what is so appealing about Dungeons and Dragons. Um, 
And so also I was kind of interested because the one director of this is uh, John Francis Daly, who was the uh, one of the, the, the main kid on Freaks and Geeks. And that's yeah. one of my favorite shows ever. So that was kind of, I like that kind of through line <laughs> I that this kid who played, you know, this very kind of uh, geeky child. Yeah. Actually, at the heart of that was some truth that that he actually enjoys this kind of stuff. Yeah, he also did um, Spider Man Homecoming. Uh, he um, like directed, or no, he wrote it, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's done like a smattering of like comedies. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that he has. This wasn't like the first thing he had yeah. done. He's yeah. been kind of a screenwriter yeah. and whatnot for quite a while. Um, but I actually really like this movie a lot like so like i've i watched it well i I watched about half of it realized that jenny would probably enjoy this so Mm -hmm. we started over the next day and it got better because the first half actually was you know had that great thing of you pick up on jokes and it was funnier Mm -hmm. um i was actually really happy and surprised at the level of practical effects that they kind of woven throughout and like very seamlessly like intertwined with the um the CG that was felt like was used only when it was really necessary or to kind of fill out the world and you know build out that the dungeons and everything and i love the little um just kind of dungeons and dragons like just like peek into the the gameplay the yeah. gameplay moments that like they used to, you know, if someone's played the game, kind of get um, little snapshots of like, oh, that they they did that thing. That that's so cool. Um, and I I really enjoyed all the characters. I thought it like gave me like I think it's my favorite like Michelle Rodriguez performance. I was just gonna say even Michelle Rodriguez is is really fun. Yeah. Uh, from the time she goes and and talks to her her ex and things like that, they yeah. really. They really play with and have fun with that character. Yeah, like I didn't ever had a problem with her, but it's just mm-hmm. like I no. I haven't seen her in a lot of things, um, other than you know her early performances in like Lost, and then she's done you know the um, all the Fast and the Furious. Fast and the Furious is which I haven't seen any of those where she's been involved, but yeah, like I loved all the characters even, and I I thought they it did that thing which would drive me nuts in Mandalorian where mm-hmm. it felt like it was doing a thing to get to a thing that felt very gamey. But in this context, it makes sense perfectly because that's what yeah. it is. Yeah, That's what Dungeons and Dragons is. And in every single new scenario they got into was more delightful than the the last one. Um, but what did you think of this? I I was really surprised by this. This has this delirious randomness to it mm-hmm. that's exactly like the game, mm-hmm. uh, where it's just sometimes it's dramatic, sometimes it's silly, sometimes it's tense, sometimes it's you know, like, why in the world would you choose that action to go along with this moment? But that's what <laughs> you chose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it just it had that kind of beat to beat, moment to moment moment to moment thing that I think in any other movie would have felt disjointed mm-hmm. and would have felt like they're struggling with tone. But in this, they're they're not. They're not struggling with tone. That's the whole charm of it is that randomness. I feel and, like totally uh, it, it never other than like the emotional moments between characters that are 
very important to have in a story to, you know, kind of give it a little bit yeah. of weight. I felt like the comedy of it really was a nice through line yeah. for those kind of random turns yeah. and everything. Well, and I could almost picture, I, I, it almost wouldn't surprise me. I had, I don't have this on Blu-ray, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's a special feature where it just, it's rolling die uh, in the corner as each scene goes along and mm. just like, ah, three, ah, 20, ah, 14, yeah, you know, right. that sort of thing. Cause it really had that feel even yeah. there's an extended uh, chase sequence with a, um, a druid that's that's kind of shape-shifting constantly. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it goes well and sometimes it does not. Right. And these are just that level of of uh non-overpowered characters. They're just below overpowered. Yeah. Where they're very lucky and they're very skilled, but they're also kind of bumbling and and flawed. Definitely. And I, I noticed that especially with uh, Justice Smith Simon, yeah, yeah. who is a very bad, like, wizardy yep. magic character. And I love in the context of this movie where he starts off, he's very bad, but by the end, he's leveling up. And, and it didn't require a montage. It felt like it was an actual arc where yeah, over the yeah. course of it, he believably builds in skill. Yeah, and get, is getting items yeah. that he can use. Um, that There was just a lot of little things like that throughout that really made it feel like you were kind of playing the game or yeah. you, if you hadn't, maybe is giving you a window into what the heart of the game is. Yeah. And this has a little bit of everything. It has looting and random items and, uh, you know, bizarre magic and just things that are 100%, uh, you know, there to progress the plot forward. But they're aware of it. They're very aware of what each of these things function. Sort of like what you were saying with The Mandalorian it felt like something that was allowing them to get the plot forward. Mm -hmm. Whereas this is something they're almost celebrating and playing with and finding ways to kind of twist convention as to what you would think of. Um, there's there's a moment in the trailer where, you know, he's, he's describing this bridge and how difficult it is to get across it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the bumbling yeah. wizard character sets off the trap and the bridge collapses. Yeah. There are so many moments like that in this movie that are actually funnier and actually more clever um, than than that trailer moment. But that's the kind of feel of it. The feel of it is, oh, okay, here's this thing, and and there's a character that knows exactly how to do it, and it all falls apart. Mm -hmm. Or something where nobody knows what to do, and somehow they eke their way through. And, and this little found family dynamic that they have. Uh, really makes that kind of kind of interesting, and and honestly, I was surprised by the end how kind of uh, just full of heart it was, mm -hmm. and how much I had come to to kind of invest in and buy into the characters. This is not like grand cinema or anything like that. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's just I will it, say I, in, I can't imagine a better way to adapt yeah. a game like Dungeons and Dragons. I will say in this like genre of blockbuster like. CG Fest films that this is almost grand cinema. Mm -hmm. Like this was better than most of the Marvel films. I'm sure it had half the budget of some of those. Um, but just in that like popcorn movie, mm -hmm. wanting to see kind of a thrill ride kind of movie, this is so much better than most of them. And I wasn't expecting that. And also like a lot of those movies I walk away from like not caring if there's ever a sequel to mm -hmm. this one lends itself to per be perfectly like set up for yeah. sequels. And I would 
happily go see them. This also had kind of an 80s vibe from the old, like, Conan the Barbarian era mm. of of Conan and uh, uh, the Beastmaster. And uh, I'm trying to remember all of those. There was this, like, explosion of movies around that time that were uh, fantasy epics, but in a very specific D&D, Frank Franzetta kind mm. of style. And this has elements of that, but it has fun with it in a way that that I think those movies tried to, but they were just, um, I, I, I don't know that they had, um, they just needed another 30 years in the incubator before mm. they could get to this point. Um, what, what elements made you think that? It just, uh, I, so I was a kid that used to watch Beastmaster on TV okay. all the time. Uh -huh. And it's just the idea of, and now uh, I don't know what to do, but I'll control this hawk. Uh, now I'll just send these ferrets in to spy mm. for me and look through their eyes. And it, it, I realized in watching this that those movies had a lot of that D&D &D element to it. Oh, okay. Uh, even back to Conan the Barbarian, where it's just they are encountering these adventures, and for better or worse, they're figuring out a way through. Mm. They're basically problem-solving movies. And I had never thought of those movies as that, that before. I feel so. like even outside of those, a lot of movies from, like, the 80s were that. Yeah. Like, if you go back and look at them, even, like... Action films definitely action were. Action films, for yeah. sure. Or, like, uh, like sneakers or something yeah. like that, where it just feels like, oh, we have this problem, we got to get this solution, and it's, it's just... It's a very convoluted solution involving yeah. multiple characters. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, no, for sure. So, yeah, uh, Dungeons & Dragons, very surprising. Um, and, and I knew the reviews were good, but I've gone into movies where the reviews are good, and I've still just sort of shrugged my shoulders. So I was I was pleasantly surprised. This is on Paramount Plus right now. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have Paramount, um, uh, you don't even have to pay for it other than your monthly fee. I always feel like I have to add that <laughs> on. Uh, our next movie is Inside, starring Willem Dafoe and possibly only Willem Dafoe. There's... There's some other little cameos and voices you might recognize, but uh, this is Willem Dafoe plays a high-end art thief who becomes trapped inside a luxury high-tech penthouse in New York's Times Square after his heist doesn't go as planned. Locked inside with nothing but priceless works of art, he must use all of his cunning and invention to survive, which is a description that honestly uh, undersells and, uh, and doesn't quite represent what this movie actually is. Clint... Uh, one, how would you describe this movie accurately, and what would you think of it? Um, you can take those in either order. <laughs> I know I really just threw that first one in there. Well, um, I'm trying to think. This is like the um, indie artsy survival flick version of like you know, of a survival movie mm -hmm. like this is somebody who's seen um what was the one with oh there's tom hanks and castaway there's uh the one Robert where Redford yeah that's the one lost. i think yeah all is lost yeah. like this is just the high-tech penthouse version of well and also like those movies kind of strips away the hollywood aspect mm -hmm. of that like this is very like trying to grasp at some, some bigger concepts other than just kind of survival. Mm -hmm. um, I, um, my, bro my brother actually turned me on to the trailer for this. I, this was one that mm -hmm. wasn't on my radar at all. But as soon as 
I see, you know, like I'm kind of a sucker for William, William Defoe. Like I'll, my thing with him is I'll, I'll watch him watch paint dry because he's so interesting. Um, so I, that's an in for me right away. Um, I actually really like this movie cause it, it kind of took away like the survival aspect of it wasn't the most interesting part of it. It, and it was kind of, like I said, kind of trying to hint at, and it was interested in other things other than that. And that was more fascinating to me. The thing that I walked away with from this and that like what made it stay in my mind and had an impact at the end of it for me was I wrote this down because I was trying to remember it. Um, like through this act of survival comes this act of destruction while he's in there. This is going to sound kind of, it's going to be highfalutin, like me it's just right. sounding artsy or whatever. But through this like act of survival and act of destruction to, to survive by him just like tearing apart this apartment and he's an art lover and he makes his living off by stealing art. And he like kind of, as you go through the movie, see him, he sees himself as an artist in this way, or has always been interested in art. He, through this act, I'm saying, he acts through the act of destruction and survival, he kind of makes his, his masterpiece of art. He, he unknowingly, unwillingly is using the resources that he has and he leaves behind this work of art. This installation art This piece. installation art yeah. piece. And I love that moment of it that he's he's kind of stripped away himself in his ego of creation and through destruction has created what he's kind of set out his whole life to make. And I, I love that that idea. Um what did what did you think of this movie? I I honestly I thought this movie was thoroughly fascinating uh, and thoroughly boring. Uh, <laughs> it 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 maybe I was watching it the wrong time. Um, I don't know because I can watch a movie like Castaway or All Is Lost and it just completely keeps my attention. There was something about this apartment that bored me. Um, and just listening to you describe it actually makes me want to watch it again. Because I wish I would have had that description going into it. Yeah. Because I was just thinking about it as a survivor uh, drama, a, a survivor oh, thriller. Yeah, I kind didn't of thing. go in thinking that. And and it didn't occur to me that in tearing this very mundane place, relatively mundane place apart, well, if in that, that he's creating something. Well, and in this world of high art and minimalist yeah. spaces and everything it if you're interested in that kind of world it fits in that world and mm -hmm. it's not boring mm -hmm. um I, I don't know his his performance is great i just i got bored with with him as a character i got bored with the environment um there just there wasn't enough for my brain to latch on to mm. uh i can see in in what you're describing it's there i just when I was watching it, that context did not occur to me. Mm -hmm. And and I just, I really struggled um, to get through the movie. Um, and maybe if there were, you know, and again, this is my stupid plot brain. If there were more problems to overcome, 
But there I mean, was there were so a lot of problems. There were a lot of problems, but they were repetitive problems to me because it was a lot of climate control problems. It was a lot of falling. It was a lot of I got to get up to this high space. Um, there, I mean, there was like resource that he was trying to, yeah, you know, yeah. find food. And I just kept staring at the window the whole time and wondering why he wasn't just hammering on this thing every day with sharper pieces of metal. And uh, my, my, it's just it's my <laughs> stupid plot brain. And then, uh, you know, spoiler, uh, I was, I was frustrated because, okay, he's going to climb out on the roof of this skyscraper through a skylight. What's he going to do once he's up there? Um, it just seemed like a, a very strange uh, exit point as opposed to the giant windows next to him. You're thinking, yeah, you're thinking I way know. too plot and I like yeah. practically yeah. like there's the the whole I like he was just wanting, you know, out at that point. Yeah. It's been probably months and months he's been stuck yeah. there. Um, yeah, you need to get rid of the plot idea. I, I just can't sometimes. <laughs> sometimes that's all that's there. I'm man. done. I'm so done with plot. I and, am not. And it's in narrative, like, monkey on my back. I can't narrative. I'm, I'm so tired of it. Yeah. 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 No, Willem Dafoe is incredible in this. Uh, this is definitely one of those movies where somebody uh, hyper commits to a role mm-hmm. and just sells it. And he's always been someone that I, you know, I always think of that kid that's just willing to keep running into something, trying to budget or move it or open it mm-hmm. or whatever. He is just, he is one of those performers who is willing to break himself. And this is not the first movie that he's done that in. He commits everything he's got, uh, no matter, you know, what it costs or, or how much it hurts to deliver the performance that he's going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's, you know, he's, he's great. Um, and that was the part that was fascinating me. It was just that environment and that character. I will say, I'm, I'm not saying this is the most amazing film mm-hmm. or I absolutely loved it. There was just aspects of it that I, I really enjoyed. And like I said, William Defoe, I, I can watch him in anything, do anything. Mm-hmm. And so I was thoroughly entertained by that aspect of it. Um, well, and that's uh, Memoria yeah. should be the film that I'm talking about this way. But that was just, you know, a light in the darkness. That was such a different experience. And, you know, that was relatively plotless and I was able to let go of the plot. So I don't understand, uh, you know, what it is that allows me to let go of plot and what it is that makes me hold on to plot. I think it's when a movie starts with such specific plot, art thief in a penthouse he, you know, it gears my brain to, oh, okay, this is a plot movie. Whereas the other well, that's, started that's with the that, plot. that vagary. Oh, that, I know. I, that's the, yeah. I mean, it's all set up there at the beginning. Yeah. It's, he gets stuck. He has to survive. Yeah. Then it's just basically watching him do that. I think it's that, it's, it's the trappings of a Hollywood plot movie. Mm. You know what I mean? It's it's like uh, uh, the other, um, it's, it's Memoria, right? Yeah. Yeah, Memoria doesn't have any Hollywood trappings, so at no point did my brain enter into that, oh, okay, it's giving me plot, and it's giving me things I need to remember, you know, that are going to, oh, there's the MacGuffin, there's the, uh, you know, the the Chekhov's pistol, there's the thing that's going to come back because the camera zoomed in on it. it my mind goes into those places, and then 
it's it's like it can't snap out of that. Oh, that's the thing I think I enjoyed about it the most. That was it had those trappings at the beginning mm-hmm. as the setup to it, and then they subvert all that mm-hmm. throughout and make you realize that that wasn't the thing that was the thing you were supposed to be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is kind of the MacGuffin mm-hmm. that you're paying attention to the wrong thing. And I love when a movie will decide to do that. They'll decide to like give you such a simple premise of art thief stuck. And then it's something oh, else. Entirely. It's something else entirely. So I think that's the thing that compels me so, so I, much about it. And it, that compels me too. Like even your description compels me more than the movie did. So I think it's just my brain has a harder time tuning into that or mm. noticing it or again, and and I'm wondering how much of it is pre-programmed when the movie puts certain things out it's it's not even like i think of it as subversion when it doesn't pay it off i think of it as a failure because i'm so now mm. clicked into those elements it's it's almost like the beginning of the movie has informed me the way i need to watch the movie mm. and then if it if it doesn't subvert obviously enough it's like i have a hard time realizing oh this was the point all along i just feel like it's a movie that's failing mm. i think if it had done most of the film in a traditional Hollywood thing, uh, you know, um, setup, and has given you all those pieces like you're saying, and it was really sticking to them throughout. And then it gets to a certain point later in the film. And it's like, oh, no, that wasn't what we were trying to do with this. Yeah. Well, the Hollywood would... version of this would have been the person who owned the penthouse is on the speaker the whole time talking yeah. to him and taunting yeah. him. And when he tries to go this way, oh, that's double reinforced, blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it would have been a very yeah, cat and mousey kind of flame thing. Or he gets out in the, the, the whole building is some other thing yeah. that he didn't expect. And yeah. it's... That so I love the simplicity of yeah. stuck needs to survive and yeah. surviving in what should be a very hospitable situation. Mm-hmm. You should like it's a penthouse apartment. You think it should be easy, and it's not. It's yeah. it's just as bad as being lost in the wilderness of like Canada or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll try it again, but. I hear you. No, I understand what you're saying, and I I know that's how you work. I think I'm just always trying to figure out like what it is in these specific movies that will trigger my brain or not trigger my brain because you have such an easier time with it. Um, I think I have an easier time because as more time goes on and seeing, like I realize how um, I get so. With like very strong narrative films where there's plot that where I need to pay attention to um, character names or this person's doing this thing to do over here, especially when it's very name based, Mm -hmm. where you're like, you got to pay attention to who this person is, why this person's talking about that person. Uh, my, My brain doesn't work that way where like I need to you know, remember all this information to have it pay off in the end. Um, and I get frustrated by those elements. And so when a movie is stripped down to like the bare bones like this and realizing like, oh, I don't need to know all that information. I can just watch this person that like exist in this certain, this yeah. scenario. Then I get it to a peaceful like Zen place. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I, I'm not saying you're wrong for, no, no. Uh, mm-hmm. seeing those things that in it, like, you know, wanting these very, uh, 
plot-based structures. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Uh, finally, our Sinatron pick was The Mountain. This is from 2018. Uh, and this stars Jeff Goldblum, Ty Sheridan, Udo Kier. Mm-hmm. Uh, weirdly, Jack Nicholson lookalike Larry Fessenden. Uh, Denis Avant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, here's Holy the Motors. plot. This is from director Rick Alverson. Um, since his mother's <clears throat> confinement to an institution, a man has lived in the shadows of his stoic father. A family acquaintance employs the introverted young man as a photographer to document an asylum uh, tour advocating for his lobotomy procedure. Clint, what did you think of The Mountain? This one popped up on Hulu like probably soon after this was like released and it was one that I was always curious about. And I, um, just because another actor where I'll watch him watch paint dry and that's Jeff Goldblum in yeah. one of the most fascinating, uh, you know, pop culture figures that we have. He's, you know, he's amazing. Um, and just him in a role like this, which usually he's a little bit, you know, um, I don't know, a quirky character or, you know, I'm, I guess I'm thinking more of like the Wes Anderson roles recently. Um, but to see him kind of as this, you know, lobotomy doctor yeah. who perform, who's going around performing lobotomies, that, that was an interesting role to see. I wanted to see him in and how he would perform that. Um, but it was one I hadn't got around to, so I'm glad Sinatron, you know, finally forced me to. And I also thought going in, it was going to be a very kind of run-of-the-mill biopic mm-hmm. about this, like, kind of, um, you know, kind of a version of um, Walter Freeman, who mm-hmm. was the actual doctor who was performing these back then. Um, but not staying strictly to that. So I was going in expecting that. And once it started, I was like, oh, this is, this is not that at all. This is, if this is not interested in that angle of it, just being a bio biopic. Um, and that gave me a lot of, you know, encouragement with this film. Um, and go in the first couple opening shots of this, I was like, man, this is gorgeous. Like this film is shot beautifully. And I didn't realize at the time who directed that, this was Rick Alverson, who did the, the comedy and entertain entertainment. Um, and he has a very specific style and he's not in, like the things that we were just talking about in the last film, he is not interested in narr- narrative at all yeah. that, that he's like very strong against it. And he wants to tear apart um, the very like Hollywood conventions that we are used to. Well, and he's one where uh, plot doesn't dictate what characters do. It's the characters that dictate whatever's happening in the story. And it it has a much more natural feel to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I was on board with this movie early on and I um, was pleasantly surprised by the like by the characters that weren't sticking strictly to you know the the freeman uh biopic angle and just the minimalism of mm-hmm. you know like ty Sh- sheridan's character like i was watching 
thing they were saying like he has like 21 lines in this whole thing and he's the main character yeah and he's still like you can see like how strong of an actor he is just from his performance Mm -hmm. like physically um and and that's really something like trying to think back to other films i've seen him in and just seeing how he's kind of grown as a art artist since then um and this the one thing that stuck with me early on and was this gave me the feeling of what I've always kind of imagined the 1950s in that like like time periods I wasn't alive for that, like through this like very eerie silence, like for some reason I always imagined it that way. And and I know it's probably not truth, but it's just I always had this feeling about it in that way. Like there's this weird eeriness to that time period in this like this time period where it's almost we feel like we're on the verge of America being this utopia. Mm-hmm. And but it's especially through and and the direct the director was talking about this, and this is one of his goals was like this this time period is like this utopia. But at the set, like to get there, we are doing these horrible acts. Very barbaric. Very barbaric things. And we think we have it figured out, but we're doing these things to paint ourselves as a utopia, but we're actually, you know, just hiding away the things we are, have shame about. It's a very superficial. It's very superficial. And, and it's not honest in any way. It's just, yeah, it's the, the visual um rendering of a utopia but without any of the truth um that was really fascinating to Mm -hmm. me um what did you think of this movie so this movie the whole time reminded me of and and not in a plagiaristic way at all but it reminded me of the master uh Uh with philip seymour hoffman and joaquin phoenix uh but where that movie i recognize how good it is but it still continues to somehow elude me. Uh-huh. Um, this one clicked. Huh. And I don't know why. Hmm. Uh, but there was something about this movie that I, I I intuited early on as opposed to like inside hmm. where I understood what the movie needed of me mm-hmm. and I was with it. Hmm. And um, even, even in the the relative silence and this is this is near colorless cinematography it's it's as close to black and white as you can get i don't know i feel um, like as far as um that time period it's just it's not colorless it's just the color palette is between the um wardrobe and the backgrounds and everything mm-hmm. are so similar in which which yeah, it's, is it's very, this very tr- monochromatic, faded pastel kind of. But it's, I feel it's vibrant in in the palette, but everything is so close to really yeah. related to that palette that it does blend together. But it, the color yeah. is there. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's there's scenes with like an enormous amount of pink in it, but there's so many different shades of pink. Yeah. that it all sort of detracts from every. It, it gives it this very despaired kind of uh weathered feeling to it even when yeah. there is color on the screen um i will say that cinemat- cinematography definitely is trying to match that yeah 
1950s aesthetic. For sure. For sure. Uh, and and not in the false Hollywood way. It's no, no. like, don't worry, darling. And, and some of those others. Well, it, it reminded feel... me of of looking at a photo, you know, those like Polaroid, like the f- pictures he's taking yeah. in the film yeah. of, of that time period. Yeah. Like, because it's in that square ratio too. Um, that So it just, it didn't feel like you're saying like yeah. false in this trying to be the equivalent of like something from yeah. that time period. It actually feels like it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and and I'm actually I'm really surprised when you had said about how few lines Ty Sheridan has because my memory, as soon as you said that, I was like, no, he had way more than that. But then I ran back through the movie real quick in my head as you were talking. I'm like, no, no, he didn't. Yeah, and that's always um, that's always indicative of a really uh, nuanced performance mm-hmm. where I remembered him saying more than he actually did because. The things that were coming through in his face or his actions or or what was happening around him was just as expressive as if he was speaking out loud what was happening to mm-hmm. him. And so I it, this also is a movie that ends in a place where after, you know, an hour and a half of of building this what is essentially a very small uh, character driven internal mm-hmm. mystery about who this person is and and. Um, different things like that, it ends in a way that kept my brain coming back to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I watched this fairly early into our cycle mm. after Cinetron spun it up. I just happened to have time, so I watch it. Usually I watch at the end. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did right that, before yeah. an episode. And so for the last, you know, week and a half, it's just been, it, it keeps coming up in my mm-hmm. mind. And it's one of those movies where by the end of it, I was like, oh, that was surprisingly good. But then over the la- the next two weeks, it really has just sort of haunted me, and just like no, this movie is this movie is doing something much more efficiently, yeah, than than I gave it credit for, yeah, and it, it really kind of hung on my brain. There were times it reminded me of Kubrick and The Shining. Mm-hmm. There were times it reminded me of um, uh, just just different things, but I. I appreciated the sensibilities, and this is by no means a movie to jump into and enjoy Jeff Goldblum's no, comedic he's, presence. No, he's definitely being Goldblum, um, but in this much more maniacal, dark yeah. way. He's like doing similar things, but it's it's twisted in this way yeah. where it's the darker side of that. It reminded me of him in Igby Goes Down. I don't know oh, if you remember that movie, I, but he was a much yeah. darker character. Mm. You you get the sense that oh he's just this cool older guy that Igby's attached to, mm. and then at one point he just hauls off and hits Igby mm. abusively, and it's it's this very jarring moment where you realize oh this is not mm-hmm. who I thought it was. This doesn't do that, but you get that that darker sense that this is not someone to be trifled with, whether intellectually or physically or whatever else. He's he's got a strangely imposing presence. That's opposite of how he carries himself. Well, he kind of feels like he's kind of this animal getting backed into the corner of he's going to lose his career and this thing that he's worked for his entire life because the world is, or like the country is finally coming around to how barbaric and awful it is. But he has negotiated to where he doesn't feel it's barbaric. Right. In his mind, he's still justifying it, but he's not ready to let go of it. Yeah. And still sees it as a solution to help people, but yeah. everyone else is kind of starting to like 
I mean, it's it towards the end that it's really coming in clear in clear that he, yeah. that he's on his way out. And well, when you back a person into a corner yeah. like that, he's you don't know what he's capable. of. I think of. that's where it reminded me so much of the master because he is being he's in this corner, he's being pushed aside, but there is this young character who is falling into this very cultish trap of what he truly believes. It's just like in The Master, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman really believes what he's saying. Mm. Um, he does and he doesn't. And I, I feel like there's there's that element here. But yet this, this young, um, you know, kid that's easy to influence is falling for the uh, the romanticism of what what's being sold i never <clears throat> i never felt that he was falling for it i felt like by the end he found it a solution to escape his own pain interesting okay because i i felt like he was being drawn into the allure of the escape of pain it was the idea of this is awful and painful and all these things but it'll it's 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 a get out of jail free card and it, it was like that temptation became too big to not sacrifice, you know, the I feel like that he was trying to escape. He would be horrified. Yeah, by. he was just trying to escape his own mental pain and questioning who he is, like through in like sexuality yeah. and and just men mental and like the pain of his family, like he's gone through with his family and and what he's being kind of. Um, put through by being in this situation with this doctor and seeing kind of what the world is capable of. Mm -hmm. And he sees it as this get out of free, of free jail um, mentally by having this procedure done, um, not because he believes in it, but he just, he sees this guy, he can, if I submit submit myself to this and give him the reasoning to do it, um, he'll do this, and I can escape it. Yeah, and I think that's where the the cult idea came in because there's, you know, from from all the things I've watched, there's basically two types of of cult member. There's the true believers mm -hmm. who really believe what's being sold. Then there's the other ones who deep down know it's false, but they're getting something out of the transaction. And so they buy in anyway, mm. and and that's where this one, you know, hit for me. Where it's 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 exactly. I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah, it's just um, it's for me. It was fascinating to watch. It's it's a very specific type of descent into madness that is not traditional madness. It's it's the idea of this melancholy that is so heavy on someone. Yeah, that they're willing to go to extreme lengths just to relieve that melancholy well and i i think he's seeing in himself what he as he's going around to all these institutions yeah. how closely he's related to a lot of these people yeah. and they're, they're just three inches on the other side of the line well yeah yeah and yeah. he could easily be there yeah and how he's almost kind of not for this world almost yeah. like he sees it himself that like i if this is what they he they do to them, and they think like that this world and America and everything that I I can be there too, and he doesn't. I don't think he wants to get to that point. Yeah. Um, I will say 
what also drew me in early on, like when I was saying about how beautiful the cinematography early on, early on is, and um, I, I love the 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 dreamlike surreal moments that pop up throughout mm-hmm. so naturally, and give you insight to him. But also, I love how that cinematography and uh, visual language continues on into the asylums Mm -hmm. and then it turns it what you see is very contained and purposeful like um art direction and and and, um cinematography early on as you're getting into the asylums becomes very like claustrophobic and it turns very minimalistic minimalistic it's very in 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 that level of control becomes like very you know just containing and like you you're not going to escape from it and um i love that natural turn that that takes um this is my favorite of his films i Mm -hmm. i I like i i really appreciate how outside of you know hollywood that he's working and exploring things and is not interested really in what um you know almost to the like a crazy level what he like he doesn't care almost what reviewers or yeah. uh even the viewer thinks of it he's trying to explore something and um on a different like kind of plane other than you know traditional american films so he's very almost in line with you know european or like um norwegian or like you know like that that very not Americanized um, filmmaking. Um, and I think that's interesting that he's working that way here. Um, it, it, I was surprised that you actually liked it as much because it, this is a slow film too. It's yeah. a very... This is one, and that's why Memoria was on my mind because mm-hmm. this reminded me of that okay. in some ways. And um, uh, that Memoria was, not, not to overhype it, because I know most people won't be able to see it. It's a theatrical only. Yeah. Uh, but it was really this this keystone film that I think helped me understand uh, an entire block of, of film mm-hmm. that I would have probably skipped by before that one. It, it was just sort of this, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what it was. It just, it really clicked for me. Yeah. And not just for it, but it it clicked for me what some of these filmmakers are really trying to accomplish and how many more layers you can find below plot and narrative and all these things Mm -hmm. that that I can get hung up on sometimes. Because, again, my brain is MCU brain. And (laughs) that's, you know, it just I grew up on comic books. And so those are the things that make sense to me. And, uh, you know, you were... Just my shepherd in this artsy wilderness. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes I find water and sometimes I don't. <laughs> I think this one, as time, because this one's, you know, it's like a 60% on Rotten Oh, yeah, it's, it's not well received. I, I think as time goes on, this one might come back around. And it'll be, you know, it, it'll pop up on, you know, Criterion later or something. Yeah. Like, it'll be remembered as one of the the great movies of the later 2000s. It just, it baffles me because I was reading reviews and I, because the master was so mm. at my, at the forefront of my mind in comparison to this movie, I would, I, I went down this rabbit hole of, of cross-referencing 
like the large reviewers, what they said about the master. Mm. And these were all people that loved the master. And so that that was bizarre to me because I saw them as uh, very um, spiritual animals to each other. Well, uh, again, not in any sort of plagiaristic way. Not in, This is not the same movie. I think the thing is that, that at the center of that movie, The Master, there's two very flashy performances. Yeah. This does not have that, yeah. other than moments of Jeff Goldblum. This is a very all around very minimal and yeah, you have very to, reserved reserved and you yeah. have to kind of peel back the layers of it and, on your own yeah. where that I feel like you even if you're not getting the bigger picture of what the master is talking about you at least have those two performances to you know hang your hat on and you like oh, I love what they did with it well maybe that's the difference maybe the difference is the mountain uh telegraphed to me that I needed to watch it that way Right. And the master telegraphed to me plot narrative character and then ended up doing something different. So maybe the master is a lot like inside for me. I I don't know. <laughs> I love that movie too. I know you do. Yeah. That's why I'm always asking you about it because I would love to love that movie. And I I watch it once a year because I think like this is the year. This year I'm going to love the master. And I watch the master and it leaves me so cold mm. and empty. And it just... I love that one because there's such underlying eerie darkness to that film. Yeah, and and I see that. I appreciate that. I just it's it's like my plot brain wants it to deliver on it. Mm. And I never feel like it delivers. It just sort of presents it and then credits. Um and I know that's really <laughs> underselling what it is. I I'm you know, I know it's accomplishing much more than that. Yeah. It's just as far as my emotional core goes. Mm. My emotional core is just like, and, you know, whereas this one, my emotional core was like, yes. That one has key scenes that deliver it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And maybe, I mean, that one that one has a lot more of the telltale signs of, of religion. Mm-hmm. And so maybe because of your experience with that compared to my experience, maybe that resonates with you more yeah. than it does with me because my my encounters with religion have been largely positive uh, in my formative years and, mm. and yours. Very negative. Very negative. <laughs> and so maybe it's maybe it's that simple too. Maybe. But I, I could feel like you would be able to divorce yourself from that in the context of- Oh, you know, I should be able to do lots of things, it, Clint. Uh, the context of, you know, a- um, yeah, that that world of religion. Oh, and and I don't mean I get defensive of it or anything like that. It's just it's it's that resonance. Uh, yeah. The the darker side of religion still doesn't resonate with me. Mm. I know it exists. It just personally doesn't resonate because I haven't. I've experienced you know the negatives, but I haven't experienced that that depth of negative. Mm. Um, so I I don't know if it just doesn't personally resonate with me as much. I don't know. Where's somebody cracking my skull? That anyway. Uh, so Dungeons just making and... a little hole. That's all. Oh, just yeah, letting yeah, your yeah. brain just breathe a, hole, a bit. Just a... Dungeons yeah. and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. We were both pleasantly surprised by. Had a good time with that. Um, I agree with you. A sequel would be a blast. Uh, inside, Clint and I went two different ways uh, because my dumb brain just couldn't handle it and wanted, I guess, Ocean's Eleven, and then the <laughs> mountain. <laughs> 
which uh, Clint really enjoyed. And surprise, surprise, so did I. I'm very surprised. Yeah. All right. Let's see what Cinetron has for us this week. Let's spin it up. Ken, I, I've I've spun it up. Well, and the results are: see how they run from 2022. Okay, this is the one with Sam Rockwell yeah. and is it Sershi Sershi Ronan? Ronan, yeah, yeah. Uh, looks like a fun little romp comedy caper, I guess. Yeah, it's um, set in the 1950s. Oh, another 1950s, 1950s film. 1950s. I see what I see. What's happening? I feel like it's not going to go to the depths of of the mountain no I don't, I, I don't think so it it looks in tone and look to uh to have kind of a vibe of uh what's the taika watiti um oh, uh, oh rabbit no, no. yeah the, yeah <laughs> not um, just rabbit but yeah um you know benji rabbit no <laughs> no um benjamin button no. <laughs> uh, what is that movie called our favorite movie. jojo the rabbit jojo yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, okay. Yeah. We'll watch it. We'll see. I'm up for it. Um, you don't have a choice. I don't. I believe Clint and I will be back next week with, uh, uh, the first of Cinebabble singles, Cinebabble singles. I like that title. Yeah. Cinebabble singles. Uh, I believe we're going to do Ant-Man quantum mania, Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania. Don't forget the Wasp. uh, Which Clint has finally watched. And I'm sure that will just be a blast of a discussion about how incredible the MCU is uh, from Clint. So uh, I'll have to take him down a peg. But yeah, <laughs> we're going to do our, our first of Cinebabble singles. Um, and and we'll see if that's fun. We'll see if you you like the occasional shorter episode. Yeah. And, focused uh, on one little thing. Yeah, one little thing. Just one little, might be, one little bite-sized nugget of, of movie. Might be five minutes. Might be half hour might be an hour who knows an hour yeah that doesn't make it so cinebabble single i guess it could be a longer well i mean it's still a single it's It's just focused on one thing so that's not i see i see the cleverness and the freedom you've left us in that title yeah it's just whatever one one thing one focused thing all right so ant-man next time uh but for now Thank you so much for tuning in to Cinebabble. I guess people don't tune in anymore. I always say tune in. Yeah, there's no I grew dial. Up hearing tune in. Anyway, thanks for listening. Drop us a review because it helps the almighty algorithm. And, uh, you know, we're all going to serve the algorithm eventually anyway. So speaking of the algorithm, Mrs. Davis. Yes. Uh-huh. Have you watched? I started it. Oh, it's I this is something I meant to bring Amazing. up in what you want. It's it gets even more delightful as okay. it goes. I will do a more as you're going on, we'll do a more in-depth talk about Rachel it. Rachel and I just watched the first episode and had a blast. Great. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, I guess fortunately, but unfortunately I watched it with Rachel, which means I'm on her timetable. I did the same thing with um, Jenny. Which, so it's going to take me a little while to finish, but. Yeah. I don't mind it when she's actually enjoying a show yeah. if I have to pace it same. out. Um, 
and she enjoyed it thoroughly throughout. So I think yeah. Rachel will too. Um, cool. Yeah, it's great. All right. So uh, thanks so much for listening to Cinebabble episodes 82. Uh, we'll be back next time with uh, some Quantum Mania. I'll see you then, Clint. Okay. See you, Ken. Bye.